All right there, I am your host, Rashawn McDonald, and welcome to Money Making Conversations. Each Money Making Conversation interview talks with entrepreneurship, entrepreneurs, and entertainers. That's what I do on this show. I provide the consumer and business owner access to celebrities, CEOs, entrepreneurs, and industry decision makers. You know, I like to tell everybody that the Money Making Conversation interviews provide relatable information to the listener about career and financial planning, entrepreneurship, motivation, leadership, overcoming the odds, and how to live a balanced life. My next guest is a comedy legend. I can only put it like that. He is a legend. I had the good fortune of meeting him several times when I managed Steve Harvey, and he made a surprise visit on stage when I was producing BET's Comic View, so I know him well. He makes his Netflix original comedy special premiere with We'll Do It For Half. I saw it twice. It's brilliantly funny. He's an entrepreneur with restaurants based on authentic Mexican cuisine from his grandmother's traditional recipes. He has toured with some of my favorite comedians like Eddie Griffin, D.L. Hughley, and Cedric the Entertainer. And most importantly, he is a trailblazer when he starred in his self-produced ABC sitcom. His stand-up comedy specials examines race, ethnic relations, and especially the Mexican-American culture. Please welcome to Money Making Conversations, my man, George Lopez. How are you, sir? Pretty Wonderful good. to hear your voice. Hey, my man, you know, uh, I saw the special. They sent me a little link so I could see it earlier. So I want to make sure I saw it before I interviewed you. And uh, how you did you, George? Okay, first of all, when somebody calls you a comedy legend, what is that? How do you feel when somebody says that about you? You know, I mean, it's it's so, if there, if there were doctors, you know, there's so many different doctors and right. different right. in different variety of fields, you know, so someone would say, you know, he's a scientist, he's a biotech scientist, he's a heart doctor, he's a brain surgeon, this guy's a dentist, this guy's a general practitioner, OBGYN, you know, oncologist. So I look at myself as almost a bit of a multi-faceted uh, doctor. You know, one of the things that uh, on this 41-year journey yes. that, I, <laughs> that I did, you know, I grew up very alone. I grew up without a male figure. I never knew my father. Mm-hmm. I didn't know my mother. My grandparents were very, you know, removed from me. And, you know, there was just something growing up that made me feel like I was different than everybody else. Not better, just different. And I, I couldn't put my finger on it. But it was that feeling of being different or having a better instinct than everybody that surrounded me that made me do something that was probably the most terrifying thing anybody could ever do and do it for years without ever seeing any improvement. So legend in the mind of of the people, but uh, just somebody who, you know, worked hard to create a different narrative than the narrative that I saw. I'm going to tell you something. Uh, being a former stand-up comic, did Def Comedy Jam, did all the, all the comedy specials myself. I've been blessed like that. So when I saw your special, and I've seen your specials in the, in the past as well, one of your funny, well, all your specials are funny. One of them that really made me laugh was when you, I think Cedric Entertainer was backstage, and when you ended the show, you crawled through your your name to get off stage. Yeah. Man, yeah. I laughed so hard on that one, George. What was running through your mind? That was funny, dude. Well, you know, we, that, that one we did live at the Kennedy Center, which right. I was there for Eddie Murphy's Mark Twain. Mm-hmm. And then as I stood there and I got a couple of jokes off and I got a huge response, I thought, you know, if I'm going to do my HBO special, they wanted to do it in, on Broadway. You couldn't find a theater. Mm-hmm. But then being there at Eddie's place, I thought, you know, I like this room. It's a perfect size. It's a great uh, place. Mm-hmm. You know, politically where we were with the wall and then... Everybody was afraid of having the American flag upside down. Right. 
because upside down means distress. Mm -hmm. And as we had a meeting months before the production, because they had to start to build the set, we were under an agreement that the director, Troy Miller, who's an incredible director, did Arrested Development, crazy stuff, that we told him that we weren't going to put the flag upside down. But he said, hell no, man, we're putting the flag upside down. So it wasn't until I got there that day to rehearse that we noticed that the flag was upside down. Mm -hmm. And then he said, hey, gee, you know, at the end of your show, you should crawl under the wall here. And I said, man, my fat ass. I said, my fat ass ain't going to fit under there. He goes, yeah, you'll fit. And and I did it, man. I man, I'm going to tell you something, man. I laughed so I went to grab my wife and played that back. I said, look at this fool. He... He crawled under his name, under the wall, and then backstage, Cedric was laughing, man. That was just, that's what uh, I'm talking about, legendary stuff, man, because as a stand-up, you know, I know the pressure it takes to be able to go on stage, be original, and when I look at you, when I watch this special, man, I, this is my, this is what I say about stand-up. When I look at a special, I go, wow, I, I would have never thought of that joke. I wouldn't never throw that joke, and that was, that's your special, man, and and it's on Netflix, and uh, it's your very first one on Netflix, and we'll do it for half, and and just tell us about the whole process of getting it over to Netflix and and taping it in San Francisco. Well, you know, let, let me say let me say this before you know because you just stand up. So one thing I think inherited in everyone is yes, some people. Everybody has a sense of humor, mm -hmm. whether they take themselves too serious or they need to lighten up, or they're dry. One of the things about, about comedy and comedians is even the odds of even getting a little bit of light shown on you is so nearly impossible. Right. But, you know, there's so many guys that I saw growing up and that I saw in the clubs in the 80s, 90s, in this last 20 years that were so good that were so clever, that were great writers, and whatever fortune, whatever fate, didn't let anything shine on those guys. And as, as much as the world needs laughter, there's a whole group of comedians who are incredibly funny that no one will ever hear of. That's why whatever you do, do it because you love it, because you know there's no guarantee that you're not gonna be one of those cats that gets any love, but if you feel good about what you do, then you, that's already becoming a success. You know, success isn't like everybody knows your name and right. people see you. Yeah, that, that, that's great. But the one thing is that you never loosen, you never loosen your grip on something that you can't really get a grip on. Like, I think you work harder when you get a little love and you start to do theater and you start to do arenas and you start to meet the people that you started to, to meet on the way up. I've seen a lot of guys fade out, but I always work the hardest when I had my show, when I had my talk show, when I had the specials. So it's just been something that I've never been able to relinquish. So going to San Francisco and going to the Warfield and knowing the history of it, yes. knowing that Jimi Hendrix played there, Janis Joplin, Santana, Nirvana, The Grace of Dead, everybody that's anybody's been in there. And, you know, it, you can do it anywhere. But when you do it in a place that has historical significance, Going to the Apollo, Chris Spencer asked me to do this thing at the Apollo, and going there, it may not mean anything to anybody else, that's not for me to decide, but what it meant to me to be on stage at the Apollo, to go to the Warfield, to go do Radio City, is beyond you know anybody's true imagination or level of appreciation. I'm just, I'm just kind of 
honored to be able to do the things that I've always wanted to do. And I, and, that, and and thank you for explaining that because I remember I was producing uh, BET's Comic View. And you may not remember this. And J. Anthony Brown was hosting that that run of BET's Comic View, and you came and uh, and we were trying to get you to go on stage. You said, "Oh no, this is not my thing. This is not my thing. You know, it's y'all. I'm just here to watch and just wish everybody good luck." And I remember we, we got you to go on stage, and you walked on stage. We introduced you, and a whole room of black people stood up and gave you a standing ovation. And that to me, you know, because you know you're always famous with your group you know like uh, you know like Jerry Seinfeld he famous with his crowd and you know and you you establish your brand of just being a funny guy but in my mind the Mex-American culture was your was your was your home run and when I walked when I saw you walk out there George and these black people stood up because you know black people just like Hispanics you know they don't they don't give it up oh, yeah. unless they respect it okay yeah. and when they walked out there and gave you a standing ovation man I went this dude got it man he got something extra going on in his life and I just I just that's why I call you a legend man because when you cross all these different lanes man with respect that's beautiful dude that's beautiful you know it, you know I was my grandmother raised me my grandmother was in my act, I would say, you know, my grandmother was was <laughs> racially insensitive, like like your grandmother's, like everybody's <laughs> grandmother's racially insensitive. So part of my material is about her relationship with African American people, yes, and them coming to the door, not opening the door. <laughs> her relationship with black people saying, you know, what, like I said, I said my first girlfriend. Here's a, here's a true story. And it, it hurts, and it's still funny to this day. Like, when I was in seventh grade, there was this girl that looked like Get Christy Love. She was in seventh grade. Mm -hmm. Her name was Christina Husky. Fro, light-skinned, tall, beautiful, and she liked me. And all my friends gave me a hard time, and I would walk with her to class, and, and I, you know, I dug her. And she was cool. She lived on the other side of the street from where I lived, the main street, and one day I was walking home with her and my grandmother, I guess, must have got off work early and saw me and rolled the window down and honked the horn and did a U-turn on San Fernando Mission, rolled the window down and says, hey, Shaft, get your ass home to call me Shaft. Mm -hmm. When I was wa walking with this African-American girl, mm -hmm. I don't know how the fuck she knew who Shaft was, mm -hmm. but she's like, hey, Shaft, get home, you know, <laughs> and she flipped out. So I said, so what? What if I like a black girl? She goes, oh, no, 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 no. I said, why, why, why is it your concern? She goes, because I don't like them, and if you do, they're going to see me with you, and they're going to think I like them, and I don't. I mean, that's how she thought. Right, right, and then, right. And then, in, and then in school, Christina came over to me one day and said she didn't feel that I should spend any more time with her because people wouldn't get it, and it was just becoming an issue. Mm -hmm. And, and, and we, ne I never walked her to class. I never walked her home from school after that. And you know what? I was a young kid still made quite an impression on me, mm -hmm. but, um, you know, in order to look at stand up as all of the stand up mm -hmm. being racially insensitive to different groups, especially Latinos was part of my mix. So you can't pull one thing out and say, you know, he's racist towards African-American people when I've said worse things about everybody else. One of the things that made Richard Pryor or Dick Gregory or, you know, uh, George Carlin or made anybody, you, Steve, Cedric, DL, Eddie Griffin, who makes anybody anything is not the, if you're going to shoot the gun, shoot the gun. Don't hold the gun and not shoot it. Then put the gun down. 
So in comedy, if you're gonna take the shot, take the shot. That's right. Don't dance around the shot. Don't 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 hem and haw. Don't look at an audience and say, oh, I can't do that. You know, there's so many people here, I can't do that. The well honesty said. is what gets the respect and the, and the legacy is somebody never pulling a punch. Now, I'm talking to George Lopez, the brilliant George Lopez. He has a Netflix special that's coming out uh, June 30th, uh, Tuesday, June 30th. It's called We'll Do It For Half. We'll Do It For Half. Uh, when I started your interview, George, I told you I watched your special twice. Okay. And this is why I watched this. But first of all, I enjoyed it. And then I remember... You know, as we all, we, we, in, the, in the beginning, we just want to get a stage so we can tell some jokes so we can be funny. That's the goal, just to be funny, go from an opener to a middle act to a headline, get that get that first-class ticket, and you you traveling and all that good stuff. And anything else that comes along is a blessing, okay? That's the that's the life of a stand-up, of, of the average stand-up comic in this country right now. Now, then I went to your website, and I saw... Your brand. I saw restaurants. I saw uh, brew halls. I saw uh, your foundation. I saw uh, COVID nineteen face mask. I saw we can't breathe T shirts. And so, so now when I look, then I said, then I looked at your special again, and I put into perspective all that weight that you're now carrying on stage with you now. When you're performing. See, in the beginning, you didn't carry all that weight, employees and, no. and COVID-19 and all that stuff. All that's going on stage with you now. And that's and a lot of people don't understand that to be funny, man, under that amount of global understanding gave me a, a truly different perspective and appreciated your comedy even more when I saw it the second time. You understand where I'm coming from? Absolutely. You know, um, uh, I think everybody liked me when my show started. You know, my show wasn't a, a huge hit, but it did 120 episodes. It did, you know, five and a half years on ABC, which I had a company, but that was the family show with an edge. But I'm going to tell you right now that I lost a lot of people, including Latino people. When I started to vocalize and I started to have my opinion on issues, but also at the Grammys in 2008, February 2008, the election was in November of eight, Chris Rock called me on a Monday after the Grammys and said, can I give Barack Obama your telephone number? Because he wants to ask you, you know, something about your support. Hillary Clinton's office had sent a fax to the office, very impersonal, and uh, I said, sure. So I'm watching CNN, at 152, Barack Obama's campaigning, he's a senator, and it's at 155, and he's leaving, and I said, there is no way that this guy is gonna call me at two o'clock. If I'm watching CNN, and he's leaving an event, there's no way. Right. Call, call at 2.30 or three. Two o'clock, phone rings, hello? Uh, uh, George Lopez, yes, hold for the senator. George, Barack Obama, how are you? Hey, I saw on TV, yeah, yeah. I said, he said, listen, I don't know where you are politically, but, you know, the Latino vote means a lot to me. I think the communities have a lot in common. I said, listen, man, you know, I will help you. And then I did what maybe was the most difficult thing to do in Texas and South Texas is I would go to these theaters and people would be lined up to see me twice in an afternoon. Mm -hmm. I would talk about a half an hour. There'd be a political, the mayor, and there'd be some political speeches. And then I would go do a half hour, maybe 45 minutes. And then I would say that I'm going to support Barack Obama. And they would boo and they would yell and they would hiss 
and I would be like, listen, 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 wait a minute, hang on a second. They would fucking walk out on me, and then I kept on the message. I stayed, and I started to say, listen, you don't vote for somebody just because she's not African-American. That's like you go buy the same beer every time because your dad brought it. Bought it. You gotta buy the same soap because your mom bought it. I said, "There's choices, and we shouldn't just follow it." Man, it was the most difficult to have your own people mm-hmm. turn on you for your political stance of getting someone to who's different, who's African American. Mm-hmm. A lot of there's a lot of racial division between our cultures as Absolutely. well, and they just they just didn't get it until I kept doing it and he started to do it. But one time in New Mexico, we had a rally out there by U of M and uh, they tore the gates down trying to get in. They expected 20,000 people. That's 50,000 people out there. Wow. You know, the turn them around. It's amazing thing. And uh, when I'm talking to you, I'm talking, I'm almost I'm talking to a historian. Okay, and that's a compliment right yeah, there because you. when you yeah, say well, for, you. forty-one years of comedy, man, because we are people. People understand by comedy comedians, good comedians, we really just document things and then we twist them on stage. But we really are telling the truth in a way. If you just really broke down what we are saying, we just making just make it. We make it funny because we make real sharp left or right turns, and that's where the humor comes mm-hmm. from. But we're really just telling mm-hmm. you the truth. And when I when I look at uh, COVID nineteen, if you don't mind me talking about it right quick, it's affecting. Oh. The Hispanic community, the Latino community, and the, and the black community is being devastated by the COVID-19. And then I went on the website, and I, and I was so happy to see that you are doing your part, providing COVID-19 face masks. How did you get into that, and what motivated you to participate at that level? Well, first of all, you know, we're not, and, and let's not even go into talk about medical and our medical conditions. So I had a kidney transplant in 2005 from when I was married, my, my wife Anne gave it to me. But this was stuff that should have been detected when I was a child. I wet the bed, you know, kids wet the bed, you know, and instead of saying that maybe there's something wrong because there was something wrong. I just didn't do it because I drank so much water, I couldn't keep it in. And I mean, I had a narrow urine. I was born early, went undetected. I could have had both my original kidneys if I had come from a culture where when somebody wets the bed, you take them to the doctor. If I would have had a blood test, if I would have had an MRI or something, I could have I saved myself. So, so the fact that we ignore situations of our health until clearly we can't get out of bed, I knew something was wrong. So, so with COVID and a, and a, and a compromised immune system mm-hmm. and knowing that, that it can spread the family and that it's invisible and that you had to take it serious, it was a no-brainer, man, to, to get involved in the mass, to donate money to charity, to try to get people uh, the mass as well. But also, you know, let's talk about D.L. Hughley, who uh, asymptomatic. a week ago, mm-hmm. uh, asymptomatic. Mm-hmm. So you look at pre-existing conditions, but also I said this, you know, and I haven't talked to him about this, but I just feel like as, as you never want to fall out on stage, you never want to fall out anywhere. Could have been driving, could have been anywhere. That may have been the best thing for him personally, because if it had happened in a hotel room, he probably would have thought, I'm fatigued, I didn't eat, I've been traveling, and, and, and look past the COVID until maybe it was further along, and now it was more serious. Right. So he raises that fact that he fell out in, in Nashville. A larger issue is that maybe we shouldn't be rushing back to the clubs as comedians and as an audience because uh, this is a real, 
real thing. And as hard as it is to get by, because a lot of us don't have disposable income, mm -hmm. you only have one life, and that's the life that you need to protect. I was right. Talking to George Lopez. His comedy special examines race, ethnic relations, especially the Mexican-American culture. Anything different in this special that's airing on Netflix uh, on June 30th, George Lopez? You know, I think Other than you just being incredibly funny. You being funny now, dude. You, and uh, I, I want to tell you, I, you actually do two specials. You do one in English and you do one in Spanish. You know that, right? That's true. Yeah. So, so I think I think creating the narrative of the uncle that was like going to the doctor, had gangrene on his foot, had right. kidney disease, and heart disease, creating a alter ego, also you know using wanting to know where all the food comes from, uh, wanting to be in other people's business, all this whole thing about Karens and all these people. If they have one thing consistently, is they're all older. Yes. white women yes. because everybody else has found a way to mind your own business when i was married i was married to a woman that if she saw a, ki a kid without uh, uh, a parent she and the parent was sitting down two feet away she's like you shouldn't leave your kid unattended i said and you're gonna get knocked out you know mind your own business right <laughs> so we as a culture mind our own business but when someone thinks they're superior to you they don't have a problem walking up to you in a restaurant when you're eating asking why you're not wearing a mask but if someone sees me or sees anybody of color in a convenience store and you're starting to throw uh, N-word around, you start to throw some disrespect, you're gonna take you're gonna take a two-piece combo right by the five hour energy drinks and those vitamins that could stop your heart. <laughs> you're too much, man. Listen, you're too much. You're too much. Ladies, every one every one of those ladies has taken what they deserve. They told that lady, that messy oh lady, go back to where you came from. <laughs> <laughs> like, a, like a heavy bag. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. My man, uh, I appreciate you, uh, George Lopez. Man, uh, I just wanted to talk to you, man, on this on my show. And uh, can I, I come from a different it. angle? It went by fast. This is, this is the fastest uh, interview I think I've ever had. Dude, That's it's, 20, almost 25 minutes. It's, yeah, it really is. It's like 23 minutes right now. But I just want to let you know just lot, when people come on Money Making Conversation, man, I have no agenda, but your greatness needs to be discussed. I just want to let people hear a little bit of you, you, because there's a man behind and, those and jokes. Let me, let me say this. Let me say this. You know, the restaurants and the beer and all that stuff came to me as an opportunity. Yes, sir. You know, if there's one thing that we have is we have an imaginative uh, mind. You can be an inventor and come from no place. Everybody who's an inventor has come from, from not from wealth. They come from their own idea. If you have an idea for an invention or something you think is different, don't just live with that idea. Look online. Look for these places. Look for a place. Because, listen... The, the, the strangest things can happen to you. Nothing is impossible. And if you have an idea that you think is relevant and is good, somebody will find that idea if you reach out and say, I have this great idea for something. That's true. That's very true. That's very true. George Lopez, I don't want to hold you. My man, thank you for taking the time to come on Money Making Conversation and speaking to me, Rashawn McDonald, my brother. Stay safe. And I will be promoting you throughout my social media and my fan club because people need to know who you are, brother. You're a star, man. You're a legend. You're a comedy legend. Appreciate it. Be safe now, okay? Appreciate you. Okay, Thanks, brother. Appreciate it, Rashawn. Thanks. Bye-bye. If you want to hear more Money Making Conversation interviews, please go to moneymakingconversation.com. I'm Rashawn McDonald. I'm your host.